If you got your Bibles, open now to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and then we're going to jump over to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Matthew chapter 11, and then 1 Chronicles chapter 4, all right? Uh, Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever gotten stuck with something that you needed to get rid of, all right? Have you ever gotten stuck with something that you needed to get rid of? For some of you, it's a piece of furniture, right? And uh, you move from a larger place, a larger larger area, surface area, to an apartment in D.C., and you realized very quickly that kitchen table is not going to work here, all right? Uh, Anybody else have that experience? Raise your hand a few. There we are. A few of us out there. Uh, when we moved here from Lubbock, Texas, uh, we had a 1,424 square foot house, which was awesome. Uh, and then we moved to about a 900 square foot apartment uh, with three kiddos at this point. And uh, I'll never forget, we had what we thought was a small dining room table. It was not small enough. And so uh, we literally had to get rid of it out in front of the building. Some of you've had that experience before. You stuck with something and you have to figure out what it is that you do with it. And so um, all that to say, the biggest example I can think of with this uh, uh, had to do with my grandmother. We called her grandmother Dennis. My mom's maiden name was Dennis. And so this is my mom's mom. She was the game player and card player uh, in our family. I think every family has one that just loves the card games and, and board games. And it was so much fun to get to play with her. But there were two games that she loved more than any other. She loved the game called Skipbo. Any of you ever heard of Skipbo before? She loved Skipbo. A little uh, historical fact. It was created in Brownfield, Texas of all places, uh, just uh, less than an hour from Lubbock. Uh, where I'm from. Uh, she'd play Skipbo, and then we also would play a game called Hand and Foot, uh, Hand and Foot, kind of a little card game, and then we would play another game called Old Maid. Remember Old Maid? Did you ever play that one back in the day? It's kind of interesting. Uh, the games that grandmother loved to play, it, the idea was to try to get rid of the cards in your hand or the cards in your pile in Skipbo, uh, and then every now and again, something would happen in the field of play where you'd get stuck. Right In Skipbo, if you had a 12 that came up on that pile, you had to figure out how to be able to play it. And you just get stuck with it and watch somebody else play and play while you waited for the opportunity to get to play your card. If you've ever played Old Maid before, Old Maid is one of those games where all you want is to just not end up with the one card, the Old Maid. Now, we can talk about the social implications of that game at another time, all right? But just as the card game itself. There's one card that you don't want, and if you get it, you are waiting for someone else to take it from you. You're waiting for someone else to pull it out of your hand so that it no longer belongs to you anymore. Follow me on this, and I hope the example sticks with you. When it comes to your sin, the sin you've done and the sin that has been done that you inherit from the world around you, someone gets stuck with it, and it might be you. If you don't go to Jesus Christ, we are responsible for that sin. And just like the game old maid, just like Skipbo, those cards that are in our hand that we don't get to play, we are responsible for those things. If you're taking notes, we got good news today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. This idea of weary and burdened is weighed down, shackled, and sapped. Your strength is sapped by the sin that you bear. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
But watch this. He then says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love in this verse, this dichotomy of us being weighed down by the baggage of our sin. And yet Jesus comes and says, take my yoke upon you. Now, in order for us to take upon the yoke of Jesus, we have to release the weight of our sin to him. We allow him to pluck sin from our hand, to clean the sin from our lives, and we make the trade of a lifetime, the trade of eternity. We give him our mess, and he gives us everything in return. He says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our lives are filled with sin, sin we've done And then the sin that we've inherited from the world around us. Sometimes it's the family that you grew up in. Um, Sometimes, uh, again, it's abuse that you've endured. Sometimes it's hatred, it's fear. Sometimes it's just the way to poor decisions. And at the end of the day, Jesus takes all of it. And he trades for us freedom. And he trades us life and victory. If you're taking notes, write this down. Thanks to Jesus, we have the ability to trade tragedy for victory. Thanks to Jesus, we have the ability to trade tragedy for victory. But you've got to be willing to make the trade. Here's what's so weird. We like to hold on to our sin, and we like to try to figure out ways that we can atone for it ourselves. But there's nothing you could ever do to atone for the mess that you're in. Again, sin you do or sin done to you. You have to release it to Jesus and take on his burden, and his burden is easy, or his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. A great example of this in film came from a great movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Did y'all see that one back in the day? You had like 25 years to see it, all right? And so just know, just a great deal. In fact, there were, uh, there were four Indiana Jones movies, but we only claimed three. Crystal Skull was just weird, all right? Just going to say that out there. Anyway, third movie in the series, and the uh, starring role, of course, is Harrison Ford, but then Sean Connery, Sir Sean Connery, plays Indiana Jones's father, plays, uh, plays the main character's father. And so the whole goal of the movie is to try to find the Holy Grail, right? And all these different uh, physical and spiritual manifestations take place to try to stop them from getting this Holy Grail. And so you also find out through the story uh, that Indiana Jones's father has been pursuing the Holy Grail with his entire life. I mean, So much so that family holidays, parenting his son, all of it's been put on hold in pursuit of this holy grail. And so it culminates, you had like 25 years to see it, it culminates with them finding the grail, and then there's this German woman with Indiana Jones, and all of a sudden the grail is just on a ledge, just out of reach, and Indiana Jones is holding her hand as she reaches out to try to take hold of the grail, and he says, let go of the grail, leave it behind, let it go. He says, I gotta save your life, salvation here, but again, this desire of earning this thing that they've been trying to reach. And she reaches, and then all of a sudden, Indiana Jones lets go, and she ends up ah, plummeting down to her death. Well, do you remember what happens next? All of a sudden, he's in that spot. His father catches his hand, and he begins to reach out, and literally the grail is touching his fingertips. Do you remember? He's touching the grail. He's trying. I can reach it, he says. I can reach it. And his father up there at the top, seeing that his son is about to destroy himself, he looks, and do you remember the entire movie, he's called him Junior. Do you remember that? The entire movie, Junior, Junior, Junior. And it's so belittling because he's grown into being something even more. He's grown to be Indiana Jones, right? He's not just Junior anymore. And all of a sudden, Junior 
junior, junior, junior. I can reach it. I can reach it. And then Sean Connery, the voice of the father says, Indiana, let it go. All of a sudden, that moment breaks the spell. Harrison Ford turns, looks up at the great Sean Connery, and they let the grail go because he can't hold on to both. He can't hold on to the grail, and he can't find salvation at the same time. Listen to me. When it comes to Jesus Christ, your sin must be released to him so that we can take hold of his yoke. So that we can take hold of freedom and salvation. But you have to release your sin. Now just for the record, if you're like me, it's real easy to release the sin that I've done to others. I'm telling you, that's easy stuff to release because you know you are in the wrong and you don't want any part with that. The sin that we inherit, the sin done to us, is harder to release because we get tied up in the attitude of who's to blame rather than finding freedom. And so here's the deal. The study that we are about to do on the life of Absalom, I've never heard a preacher preach more than one week on Absalom. We're going to spend months because there's so much scripture that's on this man's life. And can I tell you why most pastors don't preach through it? Because it's a tragedy. Because as you go through it, Absalom had time after time when he could have laid down his sin, given it to Yahweh, and allowed the Lord to make him something new. But instead, he holds on to it. Absalom life, Absalom's life encompasses dealing with the sexual sin of the house of David on multiple levels. And because of that, he decides to remain and live as a victim when he could have been free. I've never prayed through a series and worked on a series as long as I've worked on this one. And every time I prayed it through, I just couldn't help but feel like there were some of you who we were going to go through this study together where you have been identifying as a victim and it's time you traded tragedy for victory. It's time you walked and became who God made you to be. So if you're taking notes, are you ready for this? Our big million dollar question today, how do we trade tragedy for victory? How do we go through that amazing transformative process and trade tragedy for victory? So this is crazy. We're going to jump in and look at a little tiny story in the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, as a lead-in to basically be the anti-Absalom. And it's crazy because it's just two little verses, but it's a picture of what Absalom's life could have been like if he had just released this sin to Yahweh instead of allowing it to define his life. So now, flip over. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, and we will begin our, st our story of Absalom by looking at the story of a man named Jabez. Flip over. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and now we'll start in verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Now stop right there for just a minute. What's really interesting about this is the name Jabez literally means pain. Now can you imagine if your name was pain? To the point that when you introduce yourself, someone said, hey, this is Bill. Hey, this is Amanda. What's your name? I'm Payne. It's nice to meet you. They would just be like, there's got to be a story there. There's got to be a story as to why you were named Payne. Now, in the ancient Jewish culture, 
Kids weren't named until the eighth day because the idea was uh, the infant mortality rate was so high during that day and time. The idea was you reserved names like pain or struggle or sadness for a child that didn't make it past the first eight days. And in this circumstance, his mom had so much difficulty in childbirth that every time she looked at her son, she wanted to be reminded of the deliverance that she experienced through his birth. But here's what's crazy. That's one thing if you're the woman who gave birth. It's another thing if you're the dude named Pain, right? To have that name means that every part of his life ran through the grid that he had caused pain from the day he was born. Now, just for the record, there are some of you in this room, your name may not be Pain, but your reputation might be. Your name may not be Struggle, but your reputation might be, again, rough home, abuse, anger, Hatred, fear, poor decisions, when people hear your name, those are the things that are attached to them. What I appreciate about Jabez is from the very beginning, he owns his journey. He owns his baggage. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do we trade tragedy for victory? Number one, first and foremost, own your journey. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the reason if you've ever joined an anonymous organization before where you navigate addiction, what's step one in the process? Admit that you have a problem. When it comes to finding victory and trading the tragedy of sin in our lives, the legacy of sin in our families for the victory and salvation that we can have in Jesus Christ, it all starts with you realizing this baggage is mine. I have carried these things, these wrongs that I've committed and these wrongs that I've inherited, sin I've done and sin done to me, they are part of my reputation up until I meet Jesus. They belong to me and I need someone just like an old maid to to pluck it from my hand and to take it from me. Otherwise, I am stuck with the responsibility for sin in my life. If you're taking notes and you don't take anything else away from today, I hope you take this. Are you ready? Trying to find someone or something to blame for our sin distracts us from the truth that we can be free of it. Let me say that again. Again, if you don't take anything else away from today, I hope you take this. Trying to find someone or something to blame for our sin distracts us from the truth that we can be free of it. So many times when it comes to the sin we've done, it's very easy to hand it off to Jesus. But when it comes to sin that's been done to us, sometimes we can get trapped in this attitude of, I need to figure out who was to blame for this struggle. And instead of going and being free from the situation, we stay and we wallow in the mess and we miss out on what God has in store for us. We're going to study in Absalom's life at any point. He could have given it to Yahweh and left it. And instead, he chose to wallow in it. Really disgusting example, but I hope it sticks with you. Have you ever been in an elevator and someone passed gas before? And that someone wasn't you, all right? Six people in the elevator, you know that one of them has done this sinful, sinful thing, all right? It was not sin you did, but it certainly is sin done to you, all right? Do you then, in that moment stop and go, you know what? I know it wasn't me. 
I know it wasn't that person. I've narrowed it down to four other people. And I'm going to sit here until I figure out who it was. Can I tell you what you do when someone does that on an elevator? You get off the elevator as quick as you can. Why? Because it's disgusting and it's unlivable. Now listen to me. We have in our culture right now this idea of if you've been sinned against, if you are a victim, that you should be allowed to sit and to wallow in that sin and it becomes the defining characteristic of your life. You can be free of it in Jesus Christ today. Amen? You can be free of it. And here's the deal. The idea is not that you pretend that this thing didn't happen. The idea is that you leave the mess so that you can process it in a proper place where it's not defining your life any longer. We can be free, but you've got to own your journey. I've told you a bit of this story before, but it was truly a turning point in my life spiritually. When I was growing up, my dad's my hero. But when I was growing up, it was tough. He was a traveling evangelist. Um, after he finished pastoring for 20 years, he spent 22 years where he traveled as an evangelist, preached in churches all over the country, preached in crusades all over the world. I mean, there were thousands of people that came to know Jesus because of the ministry the Lord did through my father. But it was tough when he wasn't at home each night. And because of that, I carried some baggage. And then just like anybody, he was just a man. He made mistakes. There's none perfect apart from Christ. For any of you who think, by the way, that there's a perfect family out there, there is no perfect person apart from Jesus. And there is no such thing as a perfect family. Even your pastor's family has gotten major flaws. I'm just telling you. There is no perfect family. So I allowed some of the difficulty of my upbringing to justify sin that I got myself into as I got older. And it always came back to this. I would want to turn the baggage over to Jesus and be free, but I would all of a sudden get into, well, who is to blame for me being in this circumstance in the first place? And instead of getting off the elevator, I'd sit and I'd wallow in it and try to figure out what my dad had done and what I needed him to apologize for so that I could move forward. Now, listen to me. I'm teaching you power if you listen today. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is possible between you and God apart from whatever that other person ever chooses to do in their own life. Reconciliation is between you and that person. Forgiveness is between you and God. And anytime God would call me to a deeper level with him spiritually, it immediately came back to, well, if my dad would apologize for this or if my dad would own that, then I could move forward. It finally culminated one day when I moved to Lubbock, Texas, and met with a man named John Strapazon. Some of y'all got to hear him preach the other day. He uh, preached via video for us on the 26th. Strap had worked with college kids at Texas Tech University for many years, and he and my dad were close friends. They founded a ministry called Paradigm together in Lubbock. And I'll never forget, I'm right by the entrance to the Tech campus. This is where University Avenue and Broadway come together. They've got those big arches on either side. And I remember I'm sitting at a bench and all of a sudden, Strap comes up and he goes, hey, Zach, before we start this discipleship process, before we start developing you as a minister, he said, I want to hear your story. He goes, what's your story? And here's what I said to him. I go, well, before I tell you my story, you need to know about the things my dad did to me when I was younger, the difficulty, the struggles that I have because of him. Now, Strap had been a college minister a long time, and he knew exactly what to say. He stopped and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, your dad's my friend. He said, I don't discount that 
you had a difficulty, a difficult upbringing. But he goes, I'm a little bit more concerned with you becoming the man that God wants you to be than I am you raking your dad over the coals. Now, here's what's interesting. He touched on something that the Lord had been putting together in my heart. And because of that, I start to weep in the middle of the campus. The tears begin to flow. He said, are you ready to lay it down and forgive? Forgive didn't mean that I immediately gave my dad the keys to my house, figuratively speaking. That I let him in, in a boundaryless relationship. What it meant is that I acknowledged that this is my journey. These are my bags. And whether it's something I've done or it's something done to me, I need Jesus to take them from me. I need him to clean me up and I need him to sanctify me. That moment ended up being the absolute turning point for me. And I can't help but wonder if some of you might be going through the same thing. Maybe you get off the elevator before you start processing through how it got started. Leave the mess. Be free. And I'm telling you, there is an amazing world on the other side of that. It's why Paul writes it this way. Save your spot in 1 Chronicles and flip over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to Romans 12 a couple of times today. Look at Romans 12, verse 19. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say. He says, do not take revenge, my friends. Chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Underline, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now stop right there for just a minute. Half that verse comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, but Paul is outlining something very powerful for the believer in Jesus Christ. Once we hand God our baggage, the idea of someone owning up to their portion of the sin that's been done to you, Paul says, it's not that God says, Ed, don't worry about it. Quite the opposite. Leave room for the Lord's wrath, but you are too close to this thing to be able to decide what is righteous and what is not. You can't decide what's fair in that circumstance because you're just a little bit too close to the situation. So what does Paul say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let the Lord have the room for the vengeance. Let him decide what's fair as he brings about his great plan. But for you, own your portion and let it die with Jesus. Give it to him and then take his yoke upon you and allow him to change you. Allow him to clean you up. If you're taking notes, it begs this question. Is it time that you acknowledged the sin that sits on your shoulders? Is it time you acknowledged the sin that sits on your shoulders? For some of you, it's time you truly acknowledge not just the wickedness that you've been a part of, that you've done, but the sin that you've inherited that you're having to lug around from place to place. Let go of it so that you can be saved. You're just like Indiana Jones in between the salvation of the Father and trying to reach out and earn that holy grail, that thing that you've been working after that you feel like is going to justify all those things that you have done. If I just get the grail, it'll justify this entire process. No, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Make the trade and you cannot hold on to both. Is it time you acknowledge the sin that sits on your shoulders? Now flip back over to 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and let's read verse 10. Again, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Now look at what he does. Verse 10 is where the power is. It says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Underline and highlight, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. Oh, Lord, that you would bless me 
and enlarge my territory. Now stop right there for just a minute. The prayer of Jabez is for God to provide blessing for him. But don't miss where the power is. The power is not in the blessing. Scripture tells us the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The power is in him saying, O Lord, that you would bless me. God, I cry out to you because you are the one that can fill the void. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do we trade tragedy for victory? Number one, own your journey. Admit that you have a problem. Admit that you have baggage. And then number two, cry out to God because he is the one who can help us. Cry out to God because he is the one who can help us. So back in the day, I waited tables at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? Some of you are wondering, we hadn't heard a Red Lobster story in about a month. Here you go. It's back, all right? <laughs> Every waiter or waitress has had this experience at one point or another. If you work there long enough, somebody skips the check. Have you ever had that experience before? It's the worst, right? And at a very, very fine restaurant like Red Lobster, okay, you're on the hook for even more money because the ticket prices are a little bit up there. Back when I worked there, the average person spent $22, $22 per person uh, at Red Lobster. And I'm super old, and so that was definitely a lot of money back then, all right? 22 bucks a person. Also, per shift, I usually could make around $16, $17 an hour in tips. And so if you worked a five, six-hour shift, you were leaving between $60 and $70 uh, in cash at the end of the night. But um, you also, again, had a pretty high ticket count on what people paid as they went through. And one night in particular, the very first time I had somebody skip the check, didn't happen often, but I had a group of college kids skip skip the check, and it was about $140. And I'll never forget, I'm so scared because I had to type in my little code at Red Lobster, 21963. That was my little code. That was my code for four and a half years, 21963. And then here's what would happen. After I plugged in my code, I was liable for every item that I rang up on the computer under 21963. And so at the end of the night, all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, they skipped the tab, $140. And I had made about $60 in tips that day. And I remember looking at it going, I don't have the money to pay my debt. This is mine. It's under my code. I own my journey here. But they left and they have stuck me with this sin. They've stuck me with this problem. So I go and find the woman that trained me, my certified trainer. And I said, what do I do? And she goes, well, you're in charge of that money. Not only that, we had heard the boss tell us, whatever it is that you're short at the end of the shift, you are responsible for that money. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at this going, oh my goodness, I can't pay rent and also pay this person's bill off at the same time, but I'm responsible for it. 21963, it's underneath my number. What am I going to do? And the trainer said, you got to go talk to the manager. And I was like, but what if they fire me? She goes, the manager is the only one that can help you. Guy named Mark was on duty. I go, and I said to Mark, here's what happened. He said, I know. He goes, I was watching. He said, I saw him get up and take off. He goes, you did the best you could, but he said, you need to make sure, and there's some ways that we can make sure this doesn't happen again. And then he goes, what's your number? I said, 21963. He goes, all right. Plugs in my number, and this is interesting. If you've ever been in restaurant work, it's not just a blanket, take it off. They have to go line item by line item. You work in restaurant work. They go line item by line item. He slides his manager card, and then from there, he hits comp, and then he touches the item. 
hits comp, and then touches the item. And he went through $140 worth of stuff, and he said, all right, it's covered. You don't owe me $140. But he said, let's really try hard to not let this happen again. Silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. If I don't go to the manager, I am responsible for that money. If I don't go to the person that can actually do something about it, I had a great conversation with the certified trainer, but she didn't have any power in the circumstance. She didn't have the card. For some of you, if you're really being honest, you have gone in search of something to fill the void, but your baggage, your sin is still on your shoulders until you go to Jesus alone. He is the only one that can take it from you. There is no amount of alcohol that can fill that void. There is no drug that you can take. There is no person you can sleep with. There is no work that you can do. Don't think I don't know you people. Your drug of choice is ambition. And there is nothing that you can do to fill that void. Only Christ can take the mess from us. He is the only one who can make the exchange for us. It begs the question, are you trying to trade with an unworthy partner? Are you trying to trade with an unworthy partner? We're trying to purchase that piece of property over here, the grass plot on Tingy Street in New Jersey. And can I tell you what you learn? You have great conversations with a broker. You ever bought real estate before? You have great conversations with the broker, but the broker doesn't have any power. The broker takes the information to the owner, all right? And I'm telling you, as much as you schmooze a broker, the broker can bring it to them, but they are not the ones who make the decision. Ultimately, it's the owner's call on whether or not they sell it to you. Jesse, is that a good word? Now, here's the deal. There are some of you, and you are trying to bring your sin to a broker. There is no broker. It doesn't work. It's either Jesus or nothing. He is the only one with the power. He is the only worthy partner to take that from us and to put his yoke of eternal life on our shoulders. It begs the question again, are you trying to trade with an unworthy partner? If so, the trade's never going to happen. You're just delaying it. Now flip over to 1 Chronicles 4 and let's read the entire verse 10 and we'll close up today. It says, Jabez cried out to God, Oh, Lord, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm. Look at this, so that I will be free from what? So that I will be free from pain. It says, and the Lord granted his request. Now stop right there for just a minute. When you read this passage in full context, sometimes you read through this and you go, oh, this is cool. Yeah, Lord, I want more stuff. I want more territory. I want more real estate. Uh, and I really would like it if I don't ever have any pain. You got to read it in context. The blessing of Jabez is him saying, my entire life from the day I was born, I was called pain. I was called suffering. I was called difficulty. Lord, that I could be free from pain that I could be free from that reputation, that I could be free from those shackles that were given to me from the day I was born. The sin I've done and the sin that's been done to me, Lord, I know you're the one who can make me new. You're the one who can change my name. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's the last point today. How do we trade tragedy for victory? Number one, own your journey. Number two, cry out to God. He's the only one who can set us free. And number three, let him change your name. Let the pain of your past be a distant memory, part of what formed you into who you are, but not the defining characteristic. What we find in the story of Absalom, the sexual sin of the house of David is brought to the forefront. It's why the series is so long. We've got to walk through how Absalom is raised, how he comes to be, who he is, and then he has this moment to forgive, and instead... 
the abuse that his family endured was so brutal, no one had the courage to look him in the eye and say, bro, you got to slow your roll. It's time you leave the stinky elevator. It's time you leave the mess. Don't wallow in it any longer. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Apostle Paul says. I can't help but wonder if there aren't some of you here that the reason God has brought this whole series together is because this is your moment. The world screams at you. Allow the worst days of your life to dictate and define your future. It does not have to be that way. Hallelujah. Release it. Give it to Jesus. He wants to trade. Give it to Jesus and allow him to place his yoke of love upon us and set us free. If you're taking notes, write this down. We must give God permission to redefine our purpose and identity. We must give God permission to redefine our purpose and identity. I want you to notice that that's not to pretend like those things didn't happen. The first point today was own your journey. The idea is that you make the exchange. This is who I was. This is who I have been. But thanks be to God who sets me free through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Make the trade and allow him to clean you up. Allow him to change your name. No better example of this in scripture than the apostle Paul himself. You remember before he became Paul, he was a guy named Saul. In fact, Saul is introduced to us, one of the most important figures other than Jesus in the entirety of the New Testament, in the entirety of Christendom. One of the reasons that we are in this room today is because Paul is the one who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. But do you remember how he's introduced? He's introduced right after the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And he is introduced as the young man who is zealously guarding the coats of those who pelt a man to death with rocks and stones. He shows up on the scene and is so zealous to bring about the work of God that he is pulling men and women from their homes, from their children, and then putting them in prison and eventually trying to get them put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's how he's introduced to us as Saul carrying this baggage. And then all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, when he's going to pick up even more Christians, it says that Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the moment where he's able to see the sin baggage that he's carrying. And then do you remember what happens? It says, then he's taken to a house on straight street and he is waiting and praying, trying to figure out what to do because it's been revealed to him just how much sin he is carrying. A man named Ananias is told by God to go and to tell Saul about Jesus and offer him a moment to be saved. That's the cry out to God portion. He owns it by sitting in his sin but realizing I don't want to be in this any longer. And Ananias shows up and says, Jesus sets you free. Remember, it says something like scales fall from, Paul, fall from Saul's eyes. And then it says he takes food and is baptized. He receives the message. He goes to God to clean him up. And then over a period of seven to 10 years after that, he allows the Lord to change his name. You see, we don't know him as Saul, the heretic. We know him as the apostle Paul, the founder of the churches all across the world. The Lord can change your name too. You don't have to change your name from Saul to Paul, all right? You don't have to change your name from Luke to Puke. I mean, whatever it is, right? Okay, gotcha. Just kidding. You don't have to change your name. But listen to me. When people think of Sam Monroe, I think they think differently than they probably did 25 years ago. 
character and reputation that you carry, the Lord begins to shape you and form you into something new. I pray that when they think of Zach Randall's from 25 years ago, that they would see something completely different in the man the Lord is shaping me to be. Still not perfect by any stretch, but being shaped and formed into his likeness. It's why we close with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul, who had been Saul, says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test what the Lord's will is, what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. When we own the mess that we carry, sin we've done and sin that we inherited, sin done to us, all of it is covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We cry out to him for help. We release it to him because you cannot take hold of his grace if you don't release the sin. And then we allow him to clean us up that we might look like him. It begs our final question today. Are you allowing your past sin to define who you are and where you're going? Are you still allowing your past sin to define who you are and where you're going? Do not walk away from this today and go, Pastor Zach is trying to tell me to forget anything bad ever happened to me. Quite the opposite. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But he also says to release it to him because he is the one who gets to decide what is just. For you, leave the fart elevator. Is that a good word? <laughs> leave the fart elevator. You can think through who is to blame and analyze it from another place. That's a whole lot more pleasant. Is that a good word? The end of the story, by the way, with my dad, we would end up being the absolute best of friends. And you know what the turning point was? Listen to me. Every time he and I met together, I had a list of things I wanted him to own before I could move forward. Why would you ever want to meet with someone that just wants to walk you through the list of your inadequacies every time you're together? All that did was delay the victory that I could walk in. And at the end, when he found that I was a, face, a safe person to have those discussions, the Lord had been working on his heart too. And then we ended up seven difficult years we had five of the most glorious years of friendship. I want to encourage you. Trust the Lord. Own your journey. Cry out to God and allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to change you and give you a new name. Let's bow our heads for prayer.